0: like riddles what is greater than god worse than the devil and if you eat it you die it's greater than god worse than the devil and if you eat it you die anyone nothing nothing, nothing. nothing's greater than god nothing's worse than the devil and if you eat nothing you'll die uh has food become the new sex that's, that's one of the questions I want to ask today. Is food become the new sex? Our media oversaturation seems to have made sex on TV a bit dull and boring. Uh, and so now the new obsession is food. Uh, think about it. Food, safari, kitchen conversations, gourmet farmer, island feast, Luke's Vietnam, Luke's France, for the love of meat, two Harry bikers, destination flavour, great British food revival, made lily, curry nation, nigella bites, and that's... 14 of the 80 shows about food and cooking on SBS alone. 80. Uh, Man Meets Fire is my favourite. But anyway, that's uh, uh, 80. And that, that's just SBS, uh, let alone Nine Life. Uh, and then the other channels, you know, things like MasterChef, Good Eats, My Kitchen Rules, and the list just goes on and on. But it's not just our viewing, is it? No longer is it good enough just to have, you know, meat and three veg, you know, every day of the week. Uh, Dave was telling me after eight o'clock that when his parents came, they were missionaries for 20 years in Argentina, and they came back in the early 2000s, and they were just astonished that we'd become a food culture. And foodies. Uh and, and it and it transformed everything that they saw about them into the, the restaurant eating. I mean it used to be when I was growing up we went to you know the Diamond Chinese restaurant once a month, you know, kind of thing. And once a year we went to Roslyn Court. There you go, at Sutherland. Uh I don't even know if they're still there. Um, uh it was it was the exception rather than the rule. Now we eat out all the time, don't we? Uh the bar mix, you might have got one in the 70s like Jackie did, uh, as a wedding present, but that was, that was your food appliance. Now you get survey machines, I mean even young men asking for these kind of things, you know, for their presents. We've got to try different cuisines, we've got to experience the delights of the world. Normal people are just going out to dinner and, and taking pictures of their meals and posting online for the world to see. We, we've really turned into foodies. Uh, so has food become the new sex? Now, of course, food's something that's vitally important and uh, without it we die. But what might surprise you is just how much the Bible has to say about food. It's, it's an issue from the beginning of the Bible right to the end. And it's almost on every page in between. It was food that led to the fall of humanity. Uh, it was food... That led to Israel's downfall in the wilderness and why they wandered for 40 years and a million people died because of food or issues with food. Uh, Food appears in some way in almost every page of the gospel stories. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with it. Uh, he was constantly criticised for who he ate with, uh, several of these miracles related to food. He used uh, food to talk about his death. He used food to talk about the kingdom of God. He was criticised for being a, a drunkard and a glutton. Uh, uh, and so much was food, a part of his relationship with his disciples, that some of them only recognised him uh, after his resurrection by the way he said grace at a meal. In Luke uh, chapter 24, if you want to look that up later, see if you can find it. And finally, food was just a constant source of tension for the early church. What you eat, how you eat, where you eat and who you eat with. food That is, food's not a side issue in the Bible, but it's one that comes to the very heart of questions of life and faith and relationships. And I wonder if that's, uh, because of that, that food turns up constantly in the book of Proverbs as an issue. It's a, it's a major issue. Now I'm going to grab the clicker. Um, it just, I, I hadn't even noticed it till a couple of weeks ago and someone pointed out to me just how much food features in the book of Proverbs. And what Proverbs is saying is if you truly want to be wise for life, how you think about food matters. And, and it tackles basically three issues that I can see that God wants us to consider when it comes to food and wisdom, and, and they're the three headings in our outline on the sheet if you want to follow along. So the first issue then is good food. Uh, is good food and just delightful food, you know, the cuisines of the world, something we should be obsessing about or not? Or or is it something actually we should shun? Should we all be ascetics? Should God's people just be like astronauts up in space eating only vitamin rich protein powder straight from the packet and space food sticks? You know, and never enjoy a delicious home cooked meal. Uh, what's God's wisdom about what we eat? Well, Solomon understands that food's not just about survival. Food's food's not just the result of hard work, as we saw a few weeks ago when we looked at laziness and work. But it's it's also a gift of God that he gives for us for our enjoyment and benefit. Uh, and so the wise heart, he says, looks to God and asks God to provide for us. It's so Proverbs 30, verse 8. I ask of you, Lord, and he asks a few things, but I ask you, one of the things is feed me. With the food, I mean, God is the provider of good things. It's a prayer to God, and, and He He gives, He answers, and, and He gives generously. In fact, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Right? Uh, it's not that the feaster has a cheerful heart. If you have a cheerful heart, you, you go and feast and dine and with people. Of course, it's not wrong to enjoy God's good gifts, but on the other hand, Proverbs also says that food's good. Only when it's eaten in moderation. Good food is a sometimes food, right? Uh, as, uh, um, Sesame Street says. Uh, and to show you what I mean, it's fascinating because there there are three proverbs specifically about one particularly delicious food that I think many of us happen to enjoy. Honey. Who likes honey? No? Anyone not like honey? No, everyone likes, it. there you go. Yeah, it's a it's a winner. Why would Proverbs focus its attention on honey? Well, I think because it was the best, most delicious thing that the ancient world had going for it in a culinary sense. Uh, no one in the world at that point had crystallised sugar yet. Uh, uh, maybe in Southeast Asia, people uh, drank sugar cane juice. That's kind of speculation. Uh, no one's quite sure. Uh, and and they had to discover South America to invent chocolate. <laughs> and so honey, honey was the bomb. In fact, in the Middle East, all their delicacies are pretty much based around honey, aren't they? You know, baklava and so on. Honey was about as sweet as you can get. It's the best. It's a great and precious gift. And so look at this first proverb about honey. Eat honey, my son. Go for it, for it is good And the honey from the cone is sweet to your taste. No, also the wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. Now, if you find what? Honey or wisdom? I I actually wonder if it's kind of talking about both. But anyway, of course, honey is a good thing because God made it. Uh, God made good things for us to enjoy. And honey from the honeycomb is one of those I mean, after all, didn't didn't God promise the Israelites when they were coming through the wilderness that they were going to get a land flying with what? Milk and honey. Like he's saying, it's really great. I mean this is a blessing I'm giving you. Uh John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey, you know, I think he ain't got the miserable and the good. Yes. <laughs> uh, and and honey's even compared there to wisdom itself. It's a great thing, it's a wonderful thing to have. Just like it's a wonderful thing to have chocolate. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to have dessert. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to have special treats. But but look at the next couple of Proverbs. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. You think of kids' parties, where that happens literally, which the Wilchers know from bitter experience. They are sweet and bitter, <laughs> but they haven't learned from it yet. Our uh, kids vomit after just about every party. Um, or the next one. It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honourable to seek one's own honour. That is, the wise person knows when enough's enough. Enjoy treats, have them. But God doesn't give us good gifts to gorge ourselves on, but to enjoy in moderation. Life's not about desserts. Like That's what I think he's saying. Don't chase the delights of this world and of life as the end goal, as the thing you're living for. Because if you do, they'll let you down and you won't find them. Or they'll be a huge disappointment to you when they come. Or worse, they might make you sick or do more damage. And think about it. We know it's true. If you live life only for desserts, whether whether it's literally uh, or it's metaphorically, if you live only for the good times, the good times become less, don't they? If you eat chocolate every night, it actually gets a bit boring. Um, it's not as fantastic. Uh, I met someone who worked at the Arnott's factory back when it was in Australia, um, back in the Shire, uh, and they, they said it's great. They've got this policy that you can eat whatever you like, off the production line uh, if you're one of the workers there um, he said, you know, they say they, they give you that in the induction they say just go for it eat what you want and everyone wants to be on the Kingston's line you know the kind of Kingston biscuits all, all the dim dams right and and the first day of a new employee he said that you, people are just gorging themselves they can't stop and it's like you know a whole day's waste of production because it's all gone in this guy's mouth you know kind of thing. but by day three he said, No employee ever bothers eating off the line anymore. It's a policy to stop people eating it and stealing it because they get sick of it and they're just done. That's it. But the danger of living for desserts is not just our health. In fact, body image and things like that aren't aren't an issue in the Bible. That's not the reason to do it. One of the things about the rich man and Lazarus, you know, the parable that Jesus tells, for those who know the story in Luke 16, one of the ways that the rich man is described is that he's dressed in fine clothes and he ate in luxury every day. Every day was a sumptuous banquet at his place. You know, he had the chariot version of Uber Eats or what you know. There's nothing wrong with feasting. Indeed, it's commanded by God to be celebrated times. But if the feasting, the special occasion, becomes the everyday occasion, what happens? Well, you forget about what is even greater and more important. See, what did the rich man with his degustation menu forget? He forgot God. Ah, uh, yeah, and he forgot God's commands. Or ignored them just like he forgot and ignored the desperate man in poverty who was literally on his doorstep lying without food at his gate starving to death and where did it land him his fine clothes and his luxury banquets it landed him in hell Solomon knows the dangers and he's using honey as an example, but you know, the same could be said for, for experiences and and chasing holidays and hobbies and other things. You chase the things of this world as if they are the things that ultimately matter and you end up destroying yourself. When didn't Jesus say, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? There are times in our lives when we need to feast and to celebrate the good things that God gives us, and, and, and don't forget God in it and thank him for it. There are times in our lives when we need to fast and go without and remind ourselves that we're not in heaven yet and that you know heaven's our true home, and this world is not all there is. But I think most of our lives should be lived in moderation. To the glory of God. That, I mean, that's what the second reading kind of says, doesn't it? Uh, in Corinthians, uh, whatever you eat and drink, whatever it happens to be, do it all to the glory of God. I think most of us don't think about God at all when we're, we're dining out and we're enjoying ourselves. You've got to eat and drink to the glory of God. Which actually brings us to the second point that Proverbs makes about food. And that is there are things that are far, far better in life to pursue than just having uh, good food on the table. So what's better than even the tastiest of foods, according to Solomon? What's more delightful? What's more satisfying? Well, I can find four things, four things in Proverbs that are better than food, the best food. Uh, better a little with the fear of the Lord then great wealth with turmoil. The fear of the Lord, that's much better to have than a good banquet. Uh, we saw a few weeks ago why that was, you know, the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of wisdom. And knowing God, loving God and serving God means that you, you will in the end be filled with light and promise and joy and hope, even if you're in the midst of pain and difficulty. And, and no meal is worth comparing to that. Or a second thing that's better is in the very next verse in 1517. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. Right? That's not in praise of vegetarianism, right? It's actually saying vegetarianism's a downer. Uh, sorry for those of you who are. But, um, you know, actually God thinks that that meets the good stuff. You know, when he asks for offerings... He wants the fat of the calf, he wants the best portion of the, the smoky barbecue flavour meat <laughs> as it comes up in, in uh in Leviticus. But but he's saying if you have to choose between eating a thin vegetable soup with good friends, or having a delicious prime rib with people who despise each other and can't say a good word to you or to anyone else, go the soup every time. Right? Or a third thing that's better than choice food. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Righteousness, holiness, justice, that's way more important than good food. So pursue that. I mean, why is that so important? Well, partly I think it's because righteousness is is kind of an outworking and an outflow of love, right? Love seeks the good of other people and and so I'll seek the good so that everyone is cared for and, and things are fair. But it's also because righteousness is right at the heart of of what it means to have a relationship with God. That The life that's lived out of the fear of the Lord is a life of righteousness. That is, God has loved me and he saved me, um, not so that I can pursue myself and my own gain, but so that I can live for him. And so we're called not to be hypocrites. In Hebrews 12, we're told to have our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith as we run the race. And, and we're told to throw off sin and everything else that hinders us, that's going to trip us up on our race to heaven. See, so if you live to indulge sin and unrighteousness, it really just goes to show you've not understood the love of God. And in fact, you won't make it to the end. If that's the case, you know, God's not your God. And Jesus isn't your savior. And heaven is not your home. Take righteousness every time over that wood-fired pizza or that slow-cooked brisket or that delicious laxar. But there's one thing more that's better than choicest food. Better a dry crust. (laughs) That's pretty miserable, isn't it? Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting and strife. Peace. That's better than having great food. And by peace, he doesn't just mean not fighting. Uh, All kinds of people can live at home where no one talks to each other, right? There's not open hostility, but there's no love. There's just, you know, living in cold disdain and everyone just eating separately and and independence. That's not peace, according to God. The word for peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. There you go, the kind of Jewish greeting each other, shalom. Uh, It's it's the word you wish upon people and... it means everything's right. Everything's in harmony. It's the true peace that comes from knowing God that filters into good and joyful relationships. They're just beautiful and right. That's, that's the peace. That's what's better than good food. And so all those things are better than having Outback Steakhouse. They're better than going to Noodle Den at Minto, which is amazing. Uh, better than Tio's Portuguese Burger. Better than the Bean and Bite Breakfast Burrito. Uh, better than Susie Duke's chicken burger. Um, fear of the Lord. Love. Righteousness and peace. Those are the things to pursue and indulge in and obsess about and feast upon. Not the cooking shows. Not being a foodie. Not having an educated palate like I do. You know, I like McDonald's. but <laughs> I had to learn that. Anyway, Uh that's where wisdom lies. Or well, Paul puts it this way in the Book of Romans. He says, The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right, I'm not saying that the New Testament is quoting Proverbs, but but the consistency, right, of, of the New Testament with what Proverbs is saying is profound. The kingdom of God's not about eating; it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, I guess the challenge: what, what is it you're pursuing in life? What is it you're dreaming about for the well, the rest of the day? You know what? What would people say that you're living for? What would you say you're living for? On deep, honest self-reflection, is it good food and good wine and good times and good experiences, or, or rather, is it the things of God, which really are the things that that Fill life with meaning and purpose and joy. But there's one more area that God wants us to be wise about from Proverbs. And so let's look at food and fellowship. Who you share your food and your table with is an incredibly important matter in the scriptures. And Proverbs is no exception. And I think, just like Andrew was saying, it's because in God's wisdom and designs, meals aren't just Pit stops, you know, to fuel the body. Right? If that's all it is, do the Macca's drive through and eat it on your way home. Right? You save your washing up and it's like, if that's all it is, fueling the body, just do that. But meals are actually not about fueling the body. I mean, that's, that's the kind of the, the reason to do them. But meals are about relationships. Uh, has anyone seen the movie Blindside? I know the ladies did a thing. Any of the men seen Blindside? Who want to admit to that? It is a fantastic movie, even if it's a chick flick. It is a great movie, Uh, a a very challenging movie too. Um, But it makes a really telling point about meals in the middle of it. Um, If you don't know the story, it's a a white, middle-class, well-off Christian family uh, in America, and uh, the mum uh, feels sorry for this homeless black kid that she's seen, he's sleeping at the school under the benches. Uh, and she wants to do something about it and she ends up inviting him to be part of their life and, and then be part of their family. Uh, and the rest of the family thinks she's nuts and they don't, they're like, wow, oh, what are you doing mum? <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, he, you're inviting him over for a meet. what? <laughs> uh, but anyway, he comes, he comes to dinner the first day and he, um, she calls out dinner. <laughs> And everyone comes running. They grab their plates, and then they go off all separately and sit with their screens, right, watching basketball or playing the iPad or whatever. Uh, and and this homeless kid gets his meal and sits down at the dinner table. And he looks around. And he's like, where, where, uh, "Where is everyone?" I mean, he even he can figure out that that's not how things are meant to be. Table fellowship is real, and and it matters. Uh, one of the descriptions of the early church in Acts chapter 2 is that they, well, they devoted themselves to praying, to the apostles' teaching, you know, the feeding on the word of God, um, to breaking bread um, and to fellowship. And then it says, how did they do the breaking of the bread and fellowship? It wasn't talking about communion. They went and ate and drank in each other's homes. That, that, I'm not saying that's saying you've got to invite everyone from church to your place at some point, right? <laughs> you know. You know but that they were all in each other's lives and homes and eating together and dining together was just beautiful. And Proverbs says something about that. It says if you're wise, you've got to do two things that, that on face value might actually seem like the opposite things, extreme opposites. The first thing is you'll, you'll carefully guard who you eat with and you'll even avoid eating with certain people. But on the other hand, the wise person is also extremely generous with their food and their home and their company. And and it's a weird kind of combination, but, but both of these things matter really incredibly. So who should you guard your table and your fellowship against? Well, here's someone to be very, very careful of. When you sit and dine with a ruler, you might think your boss... You might think the town mayor or the prime minister. You might think the CEO. Someone important who's got some power. When you eat, when you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. I think it's saying. There's no such thing as a free lunch. That's basically what it's saying. As you're buttering your bread, he's buttering you up. You're getting this fancy meal for free at his expense, but at what cost to you? What are they trying to get out of you? What are they trying to manipulate you to do? Are they just buying your loyalty with the promise that this is what life's going to be like if you stick with me and support me? But if that's a person to be wary of, it doesn't say don't do it, it just says be wary, think carefully. There's other people to avoid altogether and never share a meal with. So for instance, do not eat the food of a stingy man or a better translation might be a begrudging host. Do not crave his delicacies For he is the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. He's saying that's a person not to eat with. Someone who really doesn't want you there. Right? Who, who begrudges you. The miser. The person who resents you taking their resources. Who, you know, doesn't want you in their house. There's no joy. There's no love, there's no peace, there's no fellowship. And so it's the opposite of the things that we should be pursuing. So don't, he says, don't, don't waste your time. Actually very unwise if you, if you, if you're spending your time there. But there's also another group to avoid. Proverbs 23, listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join with those who eat, drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. He's saying don't join in with the party crowd or the crowd that are just living in godless hedonism. Don't fall in with the crowd who are just living for themselves in this world who who are going to drag you down into their ways and and, and drag you away from God. He says you you do that and you're just going to become one of them. Or as Paul puts it in, in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that chapter on the resurrection hope that we have, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Right? You might think you're strong, you might think, well, no, we won't go that far, but you will be destroyed. You'll go down with them. Now, that's hard, isn't it? You think, how does that work? I mean, uh, especially since aren't we called to love the lost? And aren't we called to reach out with the gospel of love and forgiveness? You know, don't we want everyone to know Jesus and trust him? And how are we going to do that if we're not, we're not sharing you know, our life and our home and our food and table and company? And I don't think that's what he's talking about. I, I think he said, there's a world of difference between loving someone genuinely with the love of God and just wanting to live it up and be part of the crowd. Right? There's, a, there's a huge difference there, right? And, and I think it requires deep self-reflection to, about what your real heart and motives are, right? I've got to examine my heart and see what's really going on in here, don't I? It's, it's so easy to deceive ourselves and think, no, I'm doing this, you know, because I'll get the gospel in there somehow, <laughs> you know. But we're all prone to sin and we want to be seen as popular, we want to feel good and feel, feel like we belong and, and we just want to live it up, don't we? He says, guard your table fellowship because you love God and you don't want to be trapped into doing something stupid or being compromised in your walk with him or being manipulated into uh, a promise that you can't break. Pursue the fear of the Lord. Pursue love. Pursue righteousness. Pursue peace. But on the other hand, if we're really going to pursue those things, it's also going to have the opposite effect, and also mean that we become extremely generous and open with our food and our tables and our homes and our company, even to the point where we we would share table fellowship with people who aren't just the ones we naturally click with and enjoy their company. And I I reckon of all the stuff today, this is this is the most challenging. Um, for instance, Proverbs twenty two: the generous will themselves be blessed. For they share their food with the poor. Right? It, the rich man in Jesus' story just ignored that. The wise person is generous and shares the good things they have with others in need. What, what does that generosity look like? Is it just you know flicking twenty cents into the hat of the guy because you feel you know you want to get him off your conscience <laughs> kind of thing as you walk past on the street? No, that's not what he's talking about. Here's what it looks like. Uh, this is in the New Testament. Um, Paul's writing to the Corinthians because they've promised to give m- some money and charity to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he, he reminds them to, to make good on it. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He goes on to say, Whoever sows sparingly, will reap sparingly whoever sows generously will reap generously God loves a cheerful giver why does God love a cheerful giver any guesses yeah it shows you really transform yeah Because God's a cheerful giver. Because it's being like him. He's one himself. I mean, that's the example, isn't it? Jesus was never sparing in his generosity for us. He gave everything for us. He wasn't stingy. He wasn't miserly. His love was lavish and abundant, profound. But the generosity that Proverbs urges doesn't just stop with the poor and those in need. And I think if you thought that was hard, check this one out. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. That's that's countercultural, isn't it? You know, you can get people to give to World Vision, but to their enemies. <laughs> if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals on his head. I think it's a way to make them you know, think about what they're doing and be shamed. But and the Lord will reward you. That's huge, isn't it? Oh, it's one of the hardest things Jesus ever said, love your enemies. But they're my enemy, how can I love them? They don't love me, love your enemies, right? You know, Jesus just wasn't speaking to the air. That's what discipleship means, right? I, um, yeah. It wasn't just when we were poor and in need when Christ came. It was when we were his enemies that we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. God didn't share his love with us because he des- we deserved it. He, he did it because we, when we patently didn't deserve it. Oh, it's hard stuff. It's challenging words. It's the exact opposite of world, what the world says. Take revenge. Hold grudges. Be bitter. Stick to your own. Don't love anyone who's ever slighted you. Shun them. Walk away. no. You've been in a bitter feud with your neighbour and you can't stand them or the noise or their dog leaving droppings on your lawn or whatever, you know. You hear they're sick, make them a meal. You may have been hurt by someone at work trying to climb the corporate ladder and they didn't care whose fingers they stepped on and they stepped on yours well and truly. you got to love them like Jesus loved you. Right? They get retrenched. You hear their wife, you know, got cancer. You Go and look after them. And these are searching words, aren't they? But they're the words of wisdom from our God because he wants us to be wise and he wants us to be like him. And, and I think my, my guess is that all of us have got to go away and do some soul searching from all that. I mean, we've... The month's up on the alcohol, by the way. Uh, uh, congratulations uh, to those who've been doing that. Uh, I wonder if you've learned something from that. It's uh, uh, I've, I've had a few conversations and people have um, discovered some things about themselves, uh, which has been really helpful. But I think this stuff, you've got to go away and do some soul-searching. I mean, some of us will need to go away and think about whether we're in just enjoying our food, Joe, a little bit too much, <laughs> And and it's become an obsession for us. Or if it's not food, maybe it's something else that's taken over our lives that's not God. You know, enjoy the good gifts of God. But enjoy them in moderation and and always with thankfulness. Some of us will need to go away and reflect on on who we're doing life with and who we're sharing our table with. Are there people we have been neglecting? We've got to stop. Stop. Are there people we actually should be avoiding who are trying to buy buy our loyalty or drag us away from Jesus? Or even if they're not doing it intentionally, that's that's what the result's going to be. Don't go there. All of us, and I think all of us need to go and reflect on what are we pursuing in life as the things of most important to us? You know, is it the things that Proverbs is telling us to pursue and to obsess over? You know, the fear of the Lord, love, righteousness, and peace. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Much better to have those things than the most sumptuous of banquets and the choicest of foods. Father, these are hard words that really rock us to the core. We pray that we might chew over them and digest them well. Father, make us wise. Help us to repent of the things we need to repent of, to pursue the things of you, the the things that make us like you, generosity and love and peace, righteousness, and help us to live in fear of you, that we would remember you and know that you love us and also that you're our judge. Thank you that you're with us, and we pray that if we've fallen, you'd help us to do better. Please help us to look with your eyes of love at those around us and to know who it's wise for us to be investing in and who's wise not to be investing in. Father, please uh, help us to do this soul-searching that you're calling us to do. Amen.